Welcome back to Raising Unicorns. I'm Benton Crane. In today's episode, I sit down with Daniel, Jeffrey, and Neil Harmon, the OG Harmon brothers and our original co-founders. We dive into a few essential innovations that originally seemed tiny and potentially insignificant, but they ended up being game changers for companies like Drybar Comedy, VidAngel, Angel Studios, and The Chosen. Unicorns are real. In the past eight years, Harmon Brothers has helped raise five unicorns. Yes, that's five companies with a billion dollar valuation, with at least six more companies right on the cusp of becoming unicorns. Here on Raising Unicorns, we share the lessons we've learned to help you grow your business by tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. It's time to start raising a unicorn of your own. Welcome back. We're here again. We brought in an additional Harmon brother. We've got Neil here with us in addition to Daniel Harmon and Jeffrey Harmon. For the record, this is actually only half of the <laughs> six Harmon brothers. These are the three who co-founded Harmon Brothers, the agency, and- We actually Vid- have one more brother that co-founded- VidAngel. Yes. VidAngel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, lots of Harmons around here. <laughs> so we, we just finished uh, part one of this interview where we covered uh, the YouTube skip button the impact that it had on the advertising industry and how it laid the foundation for everything that we've done since. So if you haven't seen that interview yet, check it out. But here, this is part two. We're going to talk about a whole series of innovations that have happened over the past several years. The, the YouTube skip button was kind of the, the beginning. But since then, there have been several more innovations. And many of these have been in what is now referred to as the Web3 space, right? That term is kind of just kind of coming into vogue. But this is a space that we've been pioneering in now for several years, kind of going back to to 2016. So let's kind of go in progression. I want to talk about the economics behind Drybar Comedy and what that did to the industry of of stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And then I want to go into The Chosen and talk about Pay It Forward and what happened there. And then we'll fast forward all the way to what's happening right now with Tuttle Twins and NFTs and, and ownership in film. So let's let's start with with Drybar Comedy. Give us a quick backstory of what Drybar Comedy is, how it came to be, and then we mm-hmm. want to dive into the innovation, which is the economics behind okay. it. Okay. We had VidAngel, which is now Angel Studios, had tried to we were building this this large group of viewers through this filtering product. Disney drops this giant lawsuit on us in 2016. You had subscribers at that time. Yeah. Tens of thousands, right? Hundreds of thousands of people were using the system. We had millions of accounts, right? Uh, Yep. About 3 million accounts. And then I think we were at 190,000 paying users per month. Active subscribers. Yep. Then the lawsuit hits. Then this lawsuit hits. And we realize we don't have enough money to fight this lawsuit. And VCs all dry up because they don't want to back a company that's being sued by Disney. Yeah, that's right. There was a few that were still interested. Well, importantly, that Disney sued us two weeks after we had asked our customers whether or not they, they wanted would like to, invest to invest in our company yeah, so and they, own part of the company. They moved on it. And so we... Wait, hold on. Ex- expound on that for a second. You asked the question to the crowd, and what was the answer? Uh, so the crowd came... What We asked a fourth of our customers, whether or not they'd be interested in investing in VidAngel to own part of it and help us build for the future. And the interest level was 62 million. That's huge. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, Yeah. we were were floored by it. 
And we also floored by a private investigator coming two weeks later and, and uh, handing us a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Disney didn't like the fact we were filtering content. They were cutting out, making this automatic remote. They just, there's been like 14 companies over the years try this type of thing, and all of them have been sued by Hollywood. And we go and we say, no, but we, we want to fight this. This time we're going to fight. All the other companies just kind of folded. They, they didn't fight. And right. we need at least $5 million dollars. To just to survive the lawsuit. Just to survive the lawsuit, we need $5 million. So we're not going to raise $62 million. We're just going to raise five. But we had filed paperwork to f- raise up to $10 million. And the $5 million came in in like three days or something, two days. $5 million came in in 28 hours. 28 hours. Okay. So $5 million comes in and we say, let's go ahead and raise the $10 million just so that we can start on this process of building a new studio. Meaning it's not just to fight, yes. but we're also going to build. Yep. So we went and raised an extra buffer of another $5 million. We went and we got shut down by a judge, which we believe was a corrupt judge. But we get shut down. We have no revenues whatsoever. And we decide, and it's right before. By the way, can we do an interview about that sometime? About the corrupt judge? <laughs> <laughs> we're planning on uh, using his name frequently in our <laughs> villain roles in our films. So that right okay. after we closed that round, the night after, um, Daniel, I remember Daniel called and said, Neil, can you imagine if we use this fundraising thing to raise money for media projects? And boy, did that just click instantly when we started discussing that. And that was the precursor. I it as an email, but maybe I called you too. I have to go back and see if an email exists. <laughs> oh, good. Well, it, email or not, it really impacted me that uh, that you that you brought up that idea, and we had we had thought, oh, we need to get our user base to a million paying users in order to have enough scale to revenue to do Netflix's to thing. do Netflix's type of system. And those uh, comments shifted the entire focus of our model. Daniel's comment and the judge's corrupt ruling forced us into th- rethinking things, and then Daniel's comment gave us the thrust to now solve the chicken and an egg problem, which is how do you get really great content when you don't have full distribution yeah. detail? No, that's great. And then we said, we get together with Paul Alstrom, who had run a comedy thing. We realized that HBO launched off of stand-up comedy. That's, that was their beginning beginnings. Netflix had this huge comedy series, and we're like, but none of these are clean comedy. And that's what we want. And we're big believers in what's called the user method. It's a book, you can look it mm-hmm. up, where you make stuff that you want to exist, and then there's always a big market, or there usually is a big market for things you want to exist. And so we went, and we have Paul Alstrom, Isaac Halasima comes and visits us, and he says, guys, why don't you create a stand-up comedy show around this tipping concept that we have. And, and we were like, he's like, we could do like three comedians, I'll film them. And we were just looking at closing this set, this, uh, this building to be our new building. Yeah, this is the comedy club in the background yes, right here. Yeah, this is Dry Bar Comedy. And we, we call Isaac back in like a week and say, how about we do 50? <laughs> we just raised this money, let's do 50. And so, we had this model where we said to the comedians, you do it how you want. You don't have to be, we're not gonna tell you how to do your content, but if the crowd filters your content, filters out swear words or different things. You already had the filtering tech. Yeah, you're gonna earn more money the less filtered you are. 
And so this was kind of the first step in trying to put the crowd or the viewer in control and have a, a feedback loop for the creator to still have their control, but we kind of step out of the middle. We're not the ones. And, and I think this is important because if you go back to, you know, you mentioned Paul Alstrom's comedy club that yep. was here in Provo, Utah, which Provo, Utah is a, you know, it's a very pre predominantly LDS marketplace, yep. very conservative. It's a crowd who doesn't like blue comedy, right? Yeah. They don't like you talking about the bedroom or they don't like you talking about or using coarse language. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and so you go back to those early attempts at a comedy club in Provo and oftentimes the comedy club's own owners were trying to tell the comedians, this is what you can and can't say, mm -hmm. or this is what you should and should not say. And yep. the comedians didn't like that. Yep. But the drive bar approach was different. Instead it was say whatever you want to say. But you have to answer to the viewer. That's right. That's right. And so we invested a couple million dollars into that over the next 18 months, and it was a slog. It was really, really rough to get that thing going. But eventually we found a way to build up a model that made money, or broke even at the beginning. And after 18 months, it would pay for itself. We didn't have to invest anymore. Mm -hmm. And now, today, we have over 300 comedians have filmed here. This stage gets viewed a billion times a year. And this is a five plus, well, I don't, I don't know how much it is. It's, it's millions of dollars a year in, in revenues. And it's, it's, it's a very successful brand. It's changed the industry, meaning we've had big comedians reach out and say, hey, I might be interested in just doing a clean show for you guys because I want to be a part of this. And we've had comedians that didn't stay clean but say, I have kids now. I've been wanting to make this shift anyway, and you guys just blew me up. We had Jeff Allen wrote the kindest note to us saying, this is, for me in my career, he's been a stand-up comedian his whole life, said, coming Decades. on Dry Bar yeah. was the, the equivalent of going on Johnny Carson. He's like, I went from struggling to selling out amphitheaters across the entire country overnight after it was doing Dry Bar. Yes, and we've had a lot of comedians do that. And over half of the comedians make royalties because we pay long-term forever royalties on all the comedian specials. We have a lot of comedians who make over six figures a year. We're and those royalties, at least in part, are determined by how much their content gets filtered or not filtered. Filtered right? or not filtered. Which that was, the, yep. that, that was kind of the key innovation. Is to make them answerable to the crowd, to the audience. Yeah, which... Recurring theme here, going back to the skip button, makes yes. advertisers accountable to the viewers. Yeah. Doing the same thing for yeah. comedians. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's shift gears now, Neil. Tell us about The Chosen. So once again, let's get a quick backstory on The Chosen, and then we want to dive into the pay-it-forward model. You know, became The Chosen's breakthrough moment. So it started with Daniel's comment. After we raised the money, we said... This is how we do a full-scale series. Drybar was our, was our chance to test whether or not we could compete with the big boys on the quality of content production, but stand-up is inherently cheaper, less expensive to, to, to make, and making a full-scale streaming series is super expensive proposition. So we immediately started looking for what, what are we gonna make first with this idea. And a joint friend of Dallas Jenkins and of ours, 
Matthew Faraci, uh, called Jeffrey and shared with, or emailed him a link to a, a, a short film. And uh, Jeffrey watched it, and then Jeffrey said to me, Neil, I think you should watch this. This could be the show we're looking for. I think this is it. And I said to him, um, so what's it about? And he said, it's about Jesus. <laughs> and I just said, no, we're not. Our first, we're, we're, a, we're, we're here to make a profit. We're not, <laughs> we're not here to compete with ch what churches are meant to do. And uh, Jeffrey said, well, reserve judgment. Just watch it and see what you think. So I remember sticking on some headphones. I was right up there on the uh, balcony. And I remember sticking up some, on some headphones and watched this 20-minute short film. Short film. And the whole world just disappeared. Like I was there for the birth of Jesus. And it was told through the eyes of this shepherd who limped and, and had a physical ailment. And having grown, grown up in Idaho, working on farms, being a little bit ostracized because our family did things differently and we didn't actually own a farm. Uh, I just, I was there. Like it, it, I saw the birth of Christ through the eyes of the shepherd as though I was there. And I, when I took off the headphones, Jeffrey remembers that me saying to him, this is, this is why we made VidAngel. It clicked. I said, oh yeah, a show like this will never be able to be made by a church and made successful. We do need to make this well. Nor would it ever be made by Hollywood. That's right. It won't be made by Hollywood. It won't be made by a church. Can't be done by either. And in order for it to be successful, there's got to be something in between. That's what we created uh, at VidAngel. And uh, that started a process where Jeffrey started courting Dallas and was not easy. And Jeffrey went and also got Dallas a partner, Daryl Eves, to help with the audience development. And we all connected. And then Dallas's wife came out to meet our family. And I remember that right before signing, we went up to another room right up here with Dallas and Amanda called The Dungeon. And we said, we don't want to do a deal with you unless we're just like, we lay everything out on the table from the beginning. And how hard this is going to be. Yeah. And uh, we're about to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> so not before this, they had already bought off and said, okay, you're Latter-day Saints. You're members of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. But you're not going to control the content. You guys are fighting a lawsuit against the biggest media company in the world, Disney, who wants to kill you. Could be career-ending to work with you guys, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to do crowdfunding, which nobody has ever crowdfunded more than $5 million for a media project. And we need a lot more than that. And we need a lot more. We need $10 million, but that's okay. And then, and then we get to... The very end, when they're like, okay, we're ready to do this, and, and we just didn't feel comfortable... Uh, not talking to them about it. And we said, we, yeah, we found out that, you know, we've, we found out Disney doesn't intend to settle this thing at all. Like, they are after us. They want our blood. They want <laughs> us dead, and they want to make an example out of us. And we have got to protect our company. And furthermore, our company has more liabilities than assets, so we're, we're using bankruptcy to get out of Disney's... Uh, to survive. To survive. Yeah, we're going to use it to survive. And we're going to go build this show in bankruptcy. <laughs> and it worked. It worked, by the way. <laughs> and they said, you know what? <laughs> I, thank goodness his wife was there because she's just like, yeah, let's do it. 
<laughs> well, you know, so, you know, what, what do we have to lose? This is going to be a long, hard fight. <laughs> so, and, and for the record, when you say wanted us dead, you're talking about the company. Yeah. I'm about Angel Studios. <laughs> well, just checking. No, no they, they actually, actually reached out and, and threatened us personally. On, on a, on, obviously, we live in they the United States. Homes. They wanted us on a legal level. But they wanted like us basically destroyed. homeless yes. as individuals. Yes. It's, so it was, a, it was a dirty, dirty fight. I think it was a mistake. One of our attorneys said to me, he said, normally when you fight a legal battle, you want to close people in with three walls because you don't want to... Disney closed in with four walls. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, we're going to compact you into the ground. And so there was this point where we, I mean, this was years later, where we're just like, the only way out is through. That's right. There we, is, we, there is we no exit. We can't walk out backwards because they don't give us an exit. Right. So Disney actually was kind of like, their strategy they, they, of trying, they overplayed it. They, they overplayed it, and they and that's what forced us to punch a hole through the wall and get out of this and survive and yeah. survive. Yeah. Which they did end up opening the, thir- the the fourth wall with the settlement agreement. Well, once they realized it they was going to open anyway. That's right. That's it was right. opening anyway. Yeah. So Dallas and Amanda they wrap their heads around the <laughs> dire straits that that Vid Angel is in. And despite all of it, they say, okay, let's do this. That's right. And then we got ready and we launched, was it late 2018 or late 2017? 2017. We launched The Shepherd. We got a bunch of interest. It seems like it was around... $15 million of interest or something. It was a lot. Like, but it was really like $12 million if you take out the big ones. Right, but there were some big ones in there. And yep. we thought, okay, well, we raised $10 million in five days. This is going to be doable. And uh, we launched the crowdfunding campaign, and three million came in fast, and then it just stopped. And then we it's started trouble. a long grind, mm-hmm. a long grind that went over almost a year. And um, we eventually had breakthroughs, tons and tons of A/B tests that were incremental breakthroughs. And then right at the end of December, Neil and I and Dallas did, and Daryl did a live stream together to talk about the business model and answer questions. But we, during that period, we got within a few hundred thousand dollars of not having any more cash. You know, there's bankruptcy, and then there's no more cash. And once you have no more cash, there's no... The lights go off. The lights go off, and it's chapter seven, and everything gets liquidated. And we went through that time during when we were trying to grind through all this testing and using our entire team and all of our resources to get the chosen um, We bought the farm. We bought the farm. Yes. Now, they, they were funding it, obviously. Like, on a legal level, it was the chosen who was funding this. And, but we were doing everything we could to consult with them to help them understand. Well, we, we even gave them a loan for yes, all that stuff. that's right. So, they, they, what we did is they, we put together a group to help them buy the chosen, the shepherd from the church Dallas was working for. That's right. We, we talked to attorneys, and we couldn't get comfortable that if Neil and I invested our own personal money to buy it, that, that it wouldn't... Disney would try to get their... Yeah, we cared more about the project than we did about our personal gain. And so it made sense for us to just put the money in and get going. But we, our, our general counsel at the time, Quinto, he just said, if you don't want Disney ever to get teeth into this thing, just stay away from it with your names. So we went and got Ricky and, and Daryl and Dallas brought in Earl and mm-hmm. they got put together the money. And then after that, Angel Studios used... We, we gave a loan to them to cover their marketing costs, their legal costs. So they could get their fundraising So they could the get the fundraising started enough to get cash flowing. 
So I think we were, Patrick told me the other day, we were in like a half a million dollars in personnel costs, legal costs, and... Yep, technology um, costs yeah, and everything. It was, so it was like, everything was like coming down. <laughs> <laughs> and then the real breakthrough was uh, the next year in early, was it early 2019? Drybar was what held us over the edge. That's right, Drybar, Drybar suddenly started goes. cash flowing. Yes. And then that held us, held us in the game. And then Dallas changed his mind because Dallas had originally said, I will not start producing until I've got all $10 million and I can produce all eight episodes. But he decided, we're just going to go produce the first four with the first five million bucks. So we closed the first five million and they got started on production. Which means we were ready by Easter to launch and actually start getting some cash flow. Yeah. And then early 2019, we learned through a marathon live stream that live streams have a magic to them. I think it was 2018. Is it early 20? Late 2018, very end of 2018, we learned about the earth. So we did our live stream at Christmas time, 2018, with Daryl, it was a business live stream. Yep. It wasn't really meant, and it just started piling in, it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars in one live stream. But then in January, we, we did, did the big, big one. one that closed the entire that round. Raised millions of dollars. That's right. Yep. And that's, that's when we just said, okay, all right, we've just, you know, we've learned how important it is that the crowd owns this project. We've also learned now that uh, with a live stream, there's, there's something that different that happens there. And that was a huge breakthrough for us. So then, then we funded the full season. And yeah. how much funding did that end up being? Just shy of 11 million. But then actually, we also Dallas learned- Daryl just had to grind and grind. I mean, it was, it was my, I told Dallas at the beginning of fundraising, I said, I think the very latest, is the end of the year 2018, you'll have all your money. That's like, that's a worst case scenario. <laughs> and it's like the first week of January, they finally have enough money to move. 2019. <laughs> yeah, yes. Dallas is like, your very worst case scenario is off by over a week. <laughs> <laughs> and then they still had to raise another million in the summer because there were just people that we didn't realize would like cancel their investment. That's or, right. That's right. And these are all investments into the chosen, mm-hmm. not us. We're just like a service provider as a distributor for the chosen. That became the most successful crowdfunded film project of all time in terms of dollars That's raised, right. right? That's right. Yes. And, and so Dallas goes out, he makes the first four episodes. That helps momentum so you can close out the, the... They weren't done, but we were able to show early footage to help close out the whole deal. Got and it. show the first trailer. So that well, you could do the full first season. Yeah, yeah. yeah, footage from that and then the deadlines. Yeah. We realized that all the money gets raised in the first few days and the last few days of a campaign. Yeah, that's right. Everything else in between is just a grind and a slog. You don't, you want to make that period as short as possible. Yep, which now we've repeated several times and we've, we've seen it with Tuttle Twins re, and Wing Feather Saga. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now creators, they always do 30-day campaigns because it's dumb to go six months like The Chosen did. We didn't know that at the time. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't, that was a really smart move that we did there. So, okay, so that, that takes us through you know, what brought The Chosen into existence. Mm -hmm. But where I want to talk about is the breakthrough that made The Chosen a successful show and a successful business entity. Talk to us about how you landed on the pay it forward model. So I, I was assigned the job of going to figure out the model and lead a team doing that. So I, we had a show 
And literally it was like, eh, our original plans of being like a Netflix model, they're not gonna happen. The lawsuit with Disney is dragging on forever. You don't have a subscriber base anymore. We don't have a subscriber base anymore. Now we've got this dry bar model that's more advertising based. That's not gonna work. So we just gotta come up with something totally new. And so we're just like sketching out on papers all kinds of flows and models and and just and then and I testing run, a bunch of them mm-hmm, too, right? Testing thousands of tests, trying to test VOD models and pay, watch a few episodes and pay then and then buy it for your friends and send them emails and get it and then track your friends watching it and there's all these different things that we're doing. Pre-orders, pre-orders, pay for it all up front. The team that worked on that, there was a. a pretty decent sized team working on that. They told me a year later, they said that was the most miserable work period of their lives. Just a grind. Just an absolute grind. It was just constant. And then you have to deal with the stress of me and the stress of Dallas and the stress of everybody like- Pushing the team. Pushing the team really hard. And, and so were, were some interesting things that happened during that. One was I would try and Neil would try, Neil bought like a hundred copies of the show to give out to family and friends. I bought tons of copies of the show to give out to family and friends. Other people bought tons of copies because we loved the show, it was mm-hmm. really good and we were seeing people liked it. Send it to them and only like a handful would watch. Almost none, it was like just a tiny percent, like 6% of people that bought actually had the gratification of their friend watching what they bought for them. I remember it took me like a year and a half just to get my parents to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, for real. A list. I should probably get around to watching this. Yeah, well, I started doing this. I would invite neighbors and family over for dinner on Sunday. And once I had them there, I'd be like, okay, now we're gonna watch The Chosen. And they'd be, they'd be like, push you back, be like, you're, you're what? I've worked the last two years of my life on this project, <laughs> devoted it. You were sitting your butt down and you were watching this show. <laughs> I didn't say it that way, but that was the way I felt inside. Like, you were going to sit down on my couch, I'm going to give you popcorn, and you're going to watch the show for three episodes until you're into it. And, and they would always get super into it during that two and a half hour viewing experience. They were into it, and I was like, okay, so we just gotta get people to watch it. <laughs> but they couldn't, they, they wouldn't watch it. And, but then we saw in Facebook groups, people would get on and they'd say, I wish I had the money to buy a $30 series, but my family's tight right now, it's not in our budget. And immediately, two or three people would comment and say, send me your email, I will send you a free copy of the show. 100% of the time. And it was like, we were talking about this as a group, once again, in the exact same spot. Yeah, it was the exact Neil, same seats. The exact same seats <laughs> where, where Neil watched The Chosen for the first time. And Liz, Neil, and I are sitting there talking about this. And this is after a year of just bantering on around ideas. And then the group just came up with this idea, what if we just connect these people who are asking to watch and they really want to watch and can't do it with the people who want to pay for it? And probably, I don't know how much longer we came up with the idea of a pay it forward, the word pay it forward, but because we were talking about like. I think we talked about thank you notes that, that same yes. night and everything. Yeah, I don't know if we used the word pay it forward. That took a little more time to figure out what to call it. But, but we talked about thank you notes that anyone in the world, when they watch, they get a little thing at the top of their video that says, this person, like Jeff in Utah, paid for you to watch this episode. Pay it forward, watch now that type of an experience. Mm-hmm. And then the person who pays it forward 
gets a, um, a message from somebody who just watched saying, you paid for this person to watch. Your contribution went to this person. Your pay it forward went to this person. And so you get this list of flags from around the world. The moment when we realize that the people who have watched the show and they want to share it so bad and that there are people who are ready, but they're not necessarily the people that are the friends of those who have watched mm -hmm. the show. Once, once that idea came together, it just, it just felt like inspiration just flooded. And that was the beginning of nailing Pay It Forward. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an overnight process even then. We had it was another, I think it was another like nine months before it was really moving to where the Chosen paid for like cash flowed. Six to nine, probably. Six to nine yeah, months. Probably six to Because nine first months. we had to convince the Chosen that it was a good idea. Yeah. Amanda was the quickest. Um, and at the first time we were like, we can't just give away tons of frees because it costs money to stream and we'll lose money. So we were like, maybe we'll be able to someday, but right now we need to limit it to the number of people who paid it forward so that we can... Let's pause for just a yep. second and uh, let's do a spoiler here. Okay. <laughs> Let, let's jump to talk about the, the success uh, of The Chosen because I want the listeners to really wrap their heads around... Over $100 million last year. Yeah, so that first year of grinding testing out all kinds of models. We got like, I think $750,000-ish. In revenue. On, on revenue on the very first four episodes when we were testing mm -hmm. through for six months. Then later on, the, the next episodes came out and we got about 1.5 million. It was 1.5 million because the trustee said, this is our bankruptcy trustee said, if you don't get $1.5 million from this launch, we're toast. We're gonna we're gonna go to chapter seven. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just grinding it through, trying and to. We're get like, Daryl does. Please do pay it forward. <laughs> so, but the pay it forward was what doubled that that revenue. And then, as soon as we but got, he, the, he literally said it will be a failure if you don't get one point five million from the next four episodes. So then we honed in on the messaging. We got it to where there were no there were no walls that anybody who came could be able to watch it. And that happened around the COVID time. Yeah, and that and was that was pushed by Dallas. Dallas pushed on that idea of no walls. Yeah, to pull down the paywalls. Yes. Pull down the paywalls. Yeah, at the during COVID, he's like, even if we lose money, and then the community that's built up around the chosen became stronger, and it's just turned into this unstoppable train of energy where everyone feels like we're part of this, we're part of making this happen. Mm -hmm. There's now 330 million views on that app. Let's go, and people are. Uh, joining this movement in droves and about, you know, it's, it's just shot, it's less than 10% of people who end up paying it forward of those who watch it. But this, the, the like Jeffrey said, it exceeded $100 million last year in yeah. merchandise and pay it forward. Well, and, what, and what, what fascinated me about this is one of the things that sold me on the Gigafund, we just raised money from Gigafund, which is a big investor in SpaceX. It's Elon, Elon Musk's Musk partner, Luke Nosek, that helps co-found X.com, which became mm -hmm. PayPal. And uh, Steve, one of the partners, of partners. Mega Fund, he, he called me and said, Jeff, the strength of your model is not the free. It's the fact that you're letting everybody take ownership in the success of the project. He's like, it is, the, it is when somebody becomes so attached to the show you give them that opportunity to say, I'm going to pay for other people to reach around the world. 
as soon as they do that, they're, they're invested. Yeah. And he's like, and, and, and when you get millions of those people doing that, you're just getting more and more strength versus a free model, which is like you watch a Mr. Beast video and you enjoy it and it goes all over the world, but it doesn't have that energy level at a core where the people actually get ownership mm-hmm. in it. Because we were talking about maybe we should change the model over time. And he's like, no, you've got to continue allowing people to be part of it's, the experience. It's, there's two streets over from the street I live on. There was this street that's called uh, Briar. And it, and it was uh, all burnt lawns. Pretty rundown neighborhood. Pretty rundown neighborhood. It was all rentals. And then fam- young families started moving in and buying those homes. And now a couple decades later, and it's just completely transformed. Because they all own the homes and they all just do a little bit extra with the money that they have. Because they have ownership. Because they have ownership. It's the, when you see Netflix and Netflix's model, Netflix's model is, is that you rent, you and I, we just pay $15 a month and we rent to be able to watch the shows. And then the creators coming in on the other side, we've learned, they basically sell out all their rights for a small profit. To a Netflix. And so in order for them to get additional income, they just have to go create the next project. And, and so they're essentially renting on the other end. And the only one who's an owner is Netflix. It's basically renters and employees. It's Netflix's model. That's right. It's, it's, it's rentals and, and, and so. Renters and employees. Renters and employees and. and not, not owners and owners. Right. So now the angel model, what we realize is that now that Dallas is an owner and all these people who are participating are owners, that the content that results just has that extra edge, just like that street where somebody sticks out a really beautiful flower and nobody, you know, nobody thought of it when they were renting. It just didn't matter. But it makes a difference. But it makes a difference. And when somebody walks onto that street now, they feel something different. Like it's a different place. It's a different neighborhood. And so when somebody comes in the door and they watch The Chosen or they watch Tuttle, they feel there's something different about this content and they can't even pinpoint it. But uh, we think that's because of the owner model and it happened yeah. way, uh, Web3 is just a, a hot new term to, to coin this stuff, but this is as old as time, right? That people, when people feel like they own something, they just put a little bit extra into, yeah. into pr- in, in, because they have pride in what, mm, what now, it means and how it reflects them. Now this sounds good as a vision, but I'm sure a lot of the viewers are, people watching are like, yeah, but, I haven't seen that much change or, you know, we're talking big vision. Yeah, you could you can look at The Chosen and say, okay, you can go look at its IMDb rating and see that it's one of the highest rated shows of all mm-hmm. times. Go look at its, at, at its Rotten Tomatoes, but maybe the listener is going, okay, so The Chosen was a hit, but what else? Yeah, so what we're doing, what we've been doing for the last year, as soon as Pay It Forward hit, we had a st- stable system. And probably we haven't balanced it well enough yet, but we basically had to say, we put together a system with duct tape and belling wire that's now bringing in $100 million a year. But the foundations of, it's like, it's like you built this house on a bad foundation, technically. And so like the last, we've been hiring. Not, I mean, we can't insult the nine engineers who, who put everything they had in holding that thing together. But it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And now <laughs> yeah. we're, you know, we have uh, 45 engineers who are rebuilding the entire infrastructure. Yeah. We've got over 150 it, people in the company and we're rebuilding it from the foundation. So me, it, meaning, there's this period. Meaning a Netflix puts, 
you know, a hundred million dollars into their app technology, whereas yours was built by nine techs. Yeah, on a company that was almost bankrupt. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's what we're saying. And so, but we've spent the last couple of years working and rebuilding and learning because there's no technology that does the kind of things we got to do with the things we got to do with NFTs, the things we've got to do with TVs and. There are things that we have to do with crowdfunding yeah. that are, are specific to media. Yeah, and, and so there's this period, Steve Jobs talked about this right before the iPhone came out, this period where, what was it, the iPhone or the iPod or something, but where, where, the iPod. where really, really great things are about to happen, but everybody thinks you're kind of stagnant because you've just been working on foundational stuff. And, and so that's what we've been preparing. And so the idea is, is that we, the next phase is a whole bunch of content that's under the owner model. Using, now there's NFT technology, which is hugely welcome to us because we've been trying to figure out for the, since 2016, how do we create technology that allows people to trade and all that stuff. That, that, those problems have been solved for us, for the model we've been trying to build to for years. And so, but how do we create a community around this ownership model that, and then the other piece that we're looking at is it has to be content that amplifies light. We're not going to take on dark content. And what do you mean by amplify light? Whatever, go ahead. Whatever's true, noble, just, authentic, praiseworthy. There's trigger words, and then the community decides what those mean to them. So when they watch... Uh, Tuttle, or they watch The Chosen, or they watch Wing Feather. They say, "Does this feel true? Does it feel noble? Does it feel like it's worthy of praise? Is it authentic content? Is it just?" And they look at those words, and then they decide. Right? The community gets to decide. They're the owners. Right? They they own the projects, and so they get to decide what's welcome in their community based off of that criteria. So, uh, Daniel, I, I want to hear from you. As the creator of the Tuttle Twins show, obviously you're building it to be distributed on the Angel platform that, yeah. that we've been talking a lot about. Talk to us about the, the ownership model and how it applies to Tuttle Twins and how it impacts the way you create it. Well, we have over 9,000 investors in Tuttle Twins. We raised over $3.7 million, became the number one crowdfunded kids show in the history of the world, until a month later when we helped Wingfeather. <laughs> Wingfeather Saga passed that with $5 million. But those 9,000 people are very invested in the show. Like we see it in, in social media, we see it in the comments, we see it in the way they participate in the creation process. When we first write a script, we put it in storybook format, put it in a PDF and something they could like kind of read to their kids. And, and, and they just go and they take it and they read it to their kids and they send us all this feedback and it's so helpful for us course correcting early on on things that we would maybe do that would offend the audience or that wouldn't tell the story in the way it needs to be told and wouldn't teach the lesson in, in a more clear way. And so we see a, a tremendous amount of buy-in in the way that people share the show and the way that people talk about the show because of their investment in the project. And obviously we want to make it successful because when we succeed, they succeed. And television shows or kids shows are on average funded 70% from merchandise. And so we kind of went out the door feeling like that was going to be our main revenue model. 
more, much toys more, much more sort of than the, like the pay it forward model of the chosen. We were fo we're following a lot of the models of the chosen in the way we're creating this, but we're it's also not a one to one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Spreading the message of freedom and economics is good and all, but it's not nearly as motivating to people as spreading the message of Jesus, <laughs> and which is probably a good thing. <laughs> we see that people want a little bit more of their self-interest tied in. And so initially we saw much more revenue coming from the merchandising. And now what surpassed that is NFTs. So the NFTs, for those that aren't familiar, it's a non-fungible token, meaning it's a non-replaceable token where they can own a frame of the actual show in the way that people like to own a frame of like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or Sleeping Beauty or these original celluloids that they would paint the animation onto. Like those, those things are worth thousands of dollars now. Um, and they can own a piece of the content, not just of the show itself, but of the actual art of the show um, through, the, through this NFT technology. And, and it was <laughs> the engineering team. You, you guys approached us about two weeks before we were going to go live with, with episode five or like a week beforehand. Mm -hmm. I think so. We were going to go. We, it was the final episode of last year that we were releasing of, of, 20, of 2021. And we were approached about a week beforehand, of like, we're, we're going to launch these NFTs with it. So we're going to sell frames of the actual show. And it was just this mad scramble. And you, and like well, we did NFTs throughout to, to, to warm up the audience. But then we did the yes. first sale. But the first sale, yes. it was like from idea to like completion in like less than a week. Yeah. And the engineering team on Angel was doing all-nighters and all this kind of stuff and just killing themselves over the weekend to get this done. And then we go... And we do our live stream and, and launch episode five, and we basically do a flash sale of key points in the episodes of like what we called golden scenes. So they they could buy individual frames of the show to own, and they, they're the only one that owns that frame, right? There's a, at minute marker five, second thirty six, and, and then frame 11. frame eleven. You're the only one that owns that, right? And we sold them and we we thought to ourselves, oh, on this live stream, based on you know the early momentum we have, which is building, but needs we need a lot more to get to the you know a level like the chosen or something along those lines. We it's still in its infancy. It's in its infancy. We had never done more than ten ten thousand dollars on a live stream. Just had never done anything past that. And uh, I think it was I think we did much fifty less. less than fifty for the whole season so far. Yes, for those first four episodes. And in that in that one hour period of launching the show and us talking about the NFTs and giving the audience another opportunity to buy in and own something of it, they like was it forty five thousand dollars. It was over fifty. It was over fifty thousand dollars. Yes. Anyway, just in one hour, it like surpassed everything pretty much that we had done prior, even more so than the, like the merchandising. And so. It felt like uh, a big, like, wow, this could be the model kind of a moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's too early to tell exactly how that's all going to pan out, but it gave us a whole lot of hope for the show going forward that people want to own a piece of the art, they want to own a piece of the history, and they want the... And, and most of the people that are, that are buying it aren't even saying that they, they're necessarily buying it to resell it later. They're just saying... I just, want, I just want this thing, uh -huh. right? Yep. And, and, and that's cool to have like that that value that they can have that ownership of this thing. It's really it's really a groundbreaking thing. We we really felt like we were making history. I remember we did, we just did it right over here on this. We did stage. the live stream right up there on that stage, the same one as the dry bar thing. And Johnny and I, uh, Johnny, who's a writer and he's, he's the voice of Ethan in the series, we were just blown away because the most we expected that we would do was maybe like twenty to twenty five thousand dollars. 
I think our goal actually was, was 15. 10 or, it was, it was, 10 or 12. I think it was a 15? It was 15. I think right. Johnny and I thought we would get to 15. Oh, th that's what you guys are thinking. We were thinking mm -hmm. we're going to set our expectations for 10. Yeah. And we did it. The jo first tranche was 10,000. Uh -huh. Then we had a second tranche that would get us past your goal. Yeah. And then we had a third tranche that was huge that would get us a full sellout. And, and we sold it all out. Yes. And we sold it all out over the course of just a, like a little over an hour. The engineers all came down afterwards once the live stream was over and we'd signed off to the YouTube and the Facebook and the app audience and everything and said good night. And uh, we all just, everyone was just clapping for each other, <laughs> clapping, clapping for It was the best moment. <laughs> it, was, it was an awesome thing. We took pictures and everything because it felt like it was a moment of history that was mm -hmm. pivotal not only for Tuttle Twins but potentially for Angel in the content going it forward. It felt as ba bigger to me than Pay It Forward Breakthrough. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was an innovation or a breakthrough along the lines of crowdfunding for an individual show or an individual feature, a pay it forward kind of yes. model to turn the corner, and then all of a sudden, here's this new thing where people can actually pay in, make it so other people can watch, but then they get to own a piece of the art themselves. Oh, that is yeah. so cool. And what's so cool too is that you not only get to own a piece of the art, is that you own your frame, mm -hmm. and I own my frame, and yeah. then if somebody ends up buying it from you or you give it to somebody, that's part of the history. Yeah. So one of the one of the goals I have is to go give my, the very because I ended up with the first NFT. I didn't mean to, but that's how it just happened <laughs> randomly. Um, didn't is that mean to. <laughs> no? No, I'm serious. I, everybody says, well, "How do you have NFT number one?" And I, literally, so I, I don't I, know. But it's number one, and yeah. and the the lady who worked at Disney who gave us this idea. So I can now go give NFT number one to her. Yeah, she's you know in her eighties. Uh huh. And. Uh, and then it's in the history of that yeah. NFT, and then it yeah. gets passed down in their family. And the same thing will happen with all of us, is that this will carry the story of how Tuttle happened. Yeah. And who were the first players were in Tuttle. And that is so exciting, it's because it's, cool. a, it's a mini, it's a digital representation of that street, where the street just gets more and more beautiful over time, and we know exactly who was involved. Yeah. It's just the coolest thing. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, guys. We are out of time. Just to put a bow on all of this, Jeff, I think it was you who, right after Mark Zuckerberg got up there and you know announced that they're changing their company's name to Meta and that <laughs> Web3 equals Metaverse, I think it was you who I first heard disagree with that and say, no, it, it, it's ownership. That's right. Web3 is not the owner. Metaverse is the ownership. Metaverse is just one way to view Web3. Like, it's, it, Metaverse is the equivalent of like a different device or a different system to, to view and experience Web3. Web3 is just ownership. It is a world where everybody owns things for real and can transfer them without permission. And that's where all the innovation that, that has led us to this point, it's all about ownership in the world of media. We, we say angel means ownership. We've been saying that since before the word Web3 came out. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much for our listeners. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. If this episode made any light bulbs go off for you, please follow us and share with a friend because it's always a good plan B to help your friends get rich and then you can ride their coattails.